everybody, and welcome to Product Happy Hour, where you can go to happy hour with your favorite product people, that's us, in your sweatpants. We are product folks here to share what we've learned often the hard way over great drinks. Why happy hour? Why not? It's the best way to get the inside scoop from grizzled vents with the scars to prove it. Thanks for giving us a listen. The best way you can help us keep this party going is to head to our website and subscribe at ProductHappyHour.com. And please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. It's either $5 a month or $30 a year. That's literally one Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year to keep this sucker going. Finally, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for easy listening anywhere, anytime. I had a little seizure there. Uh, with me, as always, is Ira Joe Hall. Hey, Ira, what's happening? Hi, um, I'm good. In today's episode, we will share documentation strategies that have helped us become effective written communicators, influencers, and partners to our teammate. Uh, teammates. And I can't stress how hard learned this lesson came to me. Uh, Just share very quickly, a rookie mistake a lot of PMs make is being like exhaustive and precise when writing deliverables and comms. And yeah, believe it or not, your perfectionist tendencies, I might be generalizing here, but a lot of us are perfectionists. They won't serve you when it comes to being an effective written communicator. But before we jump in today's episode, we have a couple life updates. Ajay, I'm going to sip this celebratory mimosa on your behalf while you enlighten everyone on the product you've been launching. Uh, thanks. Yeah, we launched a baby. Uh, well, I mean, not <laughs> launched baby. per se. <laughs> That's right. We didn't launch him uh, out of like a catapult or something. Uh, but we did have our little man, Anav, join us a few weeks ago. Uh, he's very cute and cuddly and very awake in the middle of the night. Uh, so that's that's a bit of a challenge. Uh, but uh, we're in love with him and happy to have him as part of the family, which is wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, we did it. Uh, it's a free while. As for the drink, we're rocking a morning Zilker Parks and Rec Pale Ale. We're recording in the morning uh, because if I try to record at 9 o'clock at night, I'm probably going to pass out. Uh, so... What a better way to start the morning off than with a good beer. Uh, but okay, I'm not the only one who's had some change happen in their lives. Ira, you have an update too, yeah? Yeah, not as epic as your new family member, but I have decided to dig deeper into the AI and search trenches, and I've decided to join TikTok, uh, which is an app I am obsessed with. I mean, probably an unhealthy amount, and I'm only going to make that worse. <laughs> Also, you guys should know that like Ajay sends me the best TikToks <laughs> ever, like almost better than the algorithm. I-, I would say actually better than the algorithm because they're so personalized. I don't know. I just like love every single one of them. Anyway, it's a big role. This is good. This is like a little insight into what happens behind the scenes. I, I'm constantly <laughs> sending era TikToks um, and uh, like family members and, and friends too. So yeah, she, you tend to get like a feed from me of just like 30 videos, especially with a baby. Now I'm up at like 3am being like, oh, that's funny. Send. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Dude. So thank you. Highest compliment. You're welcome. But my job is now to beat you and (laughs) figure out how to make search and recos as good as that and as personalized. Um, yeah, it was a, it's a big leap 
big non-public company, big role, and likely there'll be a big learning curve. But yeah, my my Udemy roots have taught me to stay hashtag always learning. <laughs> so here I am trying out my uh, big girl ML and AI PM pants and we'll see how it goes. I think I start yeah. in about a week and a half. Well, congratulations. That's a big move. Thank you. Um, I'm looking forward to trying even harder to uh, <laughs> make make your job difficult. Um, but it's a very cool and very happy uh, for the both of us. Cheers, dude. Cheers, man. Cheers. We did it. We did it. All right. Uh, let's get back to the episode. So a long time ago, in an article far, far away, I read that bad product managers talk and good product managers write. So creating documentation writing is a very critical skill. And we hope that our overview today helps you get great at it. Um, also, in true Product Happy Hour form, today's drinking game is the word alignment. So if you hear us say alignment, take a swig of that cocktail or coffee and play along with us. Um, let's roll into the episode. Documentation. Let's see. What's a good question about documentation? What is the worst document you've ever had to write? This is like top, this is top of mind because it was very traumatic. Um, I had to write a PRD for some other product manager where I had no context. I was filling in um, for a teammate who was out on bereavement leave, which is like, of course, you want to do anything you can to help, you know, your teammate out um, when they're going through some serious life stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But honestly, telling people what to do when you don't know what you're doing is an impossible task. And I do not wish it upon my worst enemy because it was just like trying to write something while trying to learn something while trying to orient yourself to the actual facts of how the product worked. And sometimes I disagreed with what people were telling me. So it was very hard to do that. I highly, highly recommend if you're writing a document to tell people how to deliver and execute and you're not confident, don't do it. It's going to feel like you're getting your teeth pulled. Yeah, man, that's hard. Uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful that you did such a solid for them. Um, but yeah, writing, it's also just hard writing in other people's voices, unless you're mm -hmm. like practiced or you work in Hollywood, and you write scripts <laughs> and stuff. Um, it's like really hard. Yeah, it's a hard thing to do. I struggled writing these 50 page PRDs. I think my first job what? as a product manager, these things were 50 pages and it was like a B2B. Double spaced? Single spaced. Oh. It was rough. Rough, rough. <laughs> We're going to talk about this here in a minute, but yeah. Um, and I had a, you know, I had a team that was like concerned when they didn't get documents of that size. Like if I didn't write oh. something that was that big, it was like, why is this thing not bigger? Um, oh. maybe it's like a safety blanket kind of thing. It's like, oh, if it's really big, then it has every detail in there. <sighs> Dude. And then presenting against them. Oh my god. <laughs> god. <laughs> did you just try read it? So, what did you yeah. do? Did you do a slide deck for your 50-page PRD, Ajay? I should have. Uh, we would do these document reviews and in person, and I and I swear they just were not – they weren't very useful. Um, people had questions, and they were good questions. And we're going to get into this a, a bit, I think. Um, but, man, just – yeah, that type of format doesn't work very well unless you kind of craft 
things in a way that make it more presentable. And we'll, we'll talk, we should talk about that here in a minute, but without that, it's yeah. I was early on in my career too. I didn't know how to do that. So it was kind of like, yeah, look at me go through this document painfully in word. uh, (laughs) That's 50 pages long. If you have any empathy for your users, you probably have a little bit of empathy for your teammates and watching people like nod off while you're talking through PRD is soul crushing. I'm sorry that you had to do it that way. It's soul crushing. I think, you know, you learn this on later on. It's like, you don't have to do everything the way that it was done before. You know, in fact, it's a good thing to kind of reevaluate things. I didn't really reevaluate. I think I just kind of moved it forward and learned the hard way that I probably should have just changed it up uh, when I could, but Hey, you know, um, and also documentation, maybe at that time, I didn't recognize how essential documentation is, right? Uh, maybe we should roll right in. Documentation is probably like one of the most essential parts of a product manager's job. Um, it helps ensure that everyone involved um, in the development and management of the product is on the same page. And it provides a reference point for anyone who needs to understand the product and make decisions about it. Um, it's also a little bit of your legacy, you know? You write a PRD, it's on the wiki, you know, it becomes part of the tribal knowledge. Um, if you did it well, um, it helps guide people on how to change it or how to upgrade it. Um, yeah, very, very essential part. I'd say um, one of the skills that like, if I could ask for a magic wand and I was like, okay, what can I be really like whip smart good at? It would be documentation. Not only is documentation so effective in those legacy terms that you're mm-hmm. describing where people are like trying to figure out how this thing was initially made and how it works, uh, but it's also just so important in terms of scaling yourself and executing. Mm-hmm. Like if you can... That's why I think they say like, you know, bad product managers talk, good product managers write, because you can talk about things 10 times or you can create a document one time and keep referencing it, sharing it, helping people understand it, Yeah, um, which is much more useful, definitely, um, you know, posthumously, but also um, just allows you to not have to repeat yourself a bunch of times. Um, and then get get the details out and out there. And there are many different approaches to documentation. The right strategy for your product will likely depend on a number of factors, including the size and complexity of the product, the needs and expertise of your team, and the goals and objectives of your organization. You know, like we, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, I've been part of organizations that have 50-page PRDs, and I've been part of organizations where there was barely any documentation at all. There's no one right answer for all situations. It's all about being effective in the medium. And our tactics today should help you level up in doing that, uh, regardless of which situation that you're in. Okay, so in today's episode, we're going to talk about the commonly created documents and tell you how to make them useful and something your team actually wants to read. And surprise... Uh, <laughs> a document that is read is a document that influences. Um, and that's a really big part of gaining momentum within your org, team, or domain. Um, it's kind of like, you know, not to get too TikTok y early before I joined TikTok, but, you know, the things that get engagement are the things that evoke emotion or that help people understand something more clearly. And there's absolutely no reason 
uh, documentation should be dry or lengthy or, you know, not have um, that spark that gets people's juices flowing. In fact, like that's one really big thing um, you want to optimize for. Um, and the last thing I'll say is we're going to share like these very, very, I, I think, strong strategies um, for how to work on these different assets. They're a little bit different. Like the strategy you use for a JIRA probably isn't the same strategy you're going to use for a product roadmap. So we're going to kind of unfurl um, strategies by the most popular documents. Does that sound good? That's great. There's two decades of doc hacks in this episode, and I'm very ready to save everybody time pain and to make documentation great again. Oh, wow. You slipped in uh, that reference. Like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just read that off the, the thing. I like, totally missed it. Was there? Oh, that's hilarious. Um, all right. We'll go scenario by scenario and discuss how to be effective in each. What are we starting off with here? Where are we starting? Okay. Let's start with JIRAs. Um, yeah. JIRA rhymes with era. That was like my <laughs> intro punchline for <laughs> a while. <laughs> it's like, hey, everybody, I'm era rhymes with JIRA. And you know, it made me cool for like when people like JIRA and like Atlassian was like a novel product. And now everyone's like, fuck, I hate JIRA. Anyway. <laughs> JIRA is super helpful. And effective. Um, but <laughs> yes, there's, there's, uh, <laughs> there's some things about it that are not optimal. <laughs> okay. Anyway, user stories are brief, informal descriptions of features. And you could use in Jira, however you do it, Kanban, whatever software you use. Um, but basically, they need to have a description of the features and functionality that the product should provide to its users, okay? And they are written from the perspective of the user, and they can help to focus the team on the needs and goals of the people who will be using the product. Okay, I want to hear what makes a user story absolutely hot garbage from your perspective. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, there are a few key characteristics that can make a user story in Jira complete trash. Uh, one is if the user story is not clear or well-defined, this is probably going to be a theme throughout, uh, the episode being very clear, concise, direct, well-defined is very important. And that can make it difficult for the development team to understand and implement when you're not clear and concise. Another potential issue is if the user story is too large or complex, which can make it difficult to manage and track progress. Uh, especially if it's all kind of jammed into one user story. I'm sure you've seen this a lot. Oh my God. Like, it's like, where do I start? Like, this is like massive. <laughs> you know, we wrote a, we did an episode about epics, right? Um, and if people aren't using things like epics to organize the information, organize the stories, kind of provide that sort of, um, umbrella narrative, uh, that, that definitely makes it challenging to manage and track progress and understand just what you're doing at all. Additionally, a user story may be considered trash if it is not well aligned with the overall goals and objectives of the project. Um, so being uh, aligned with your strategy and what you're trying to do is, is really important. Ultimately, a trash user story is one that is not well suited to the project at hand and that may hinder the development team's ability to develop, to deliver value to the end user. This is a really important point. You know, oftentimes when you read stuff about documentation, some of the advice is that you, some of the good advice I've seen is like, you want your documentation to answer questions that people have about what they're doing. And not you're give not them more done. questions. Yeah. You don't want to give them more <laughs> questions. 
and you're really done when people don't have any more questions. Yeah. Like if people nice. are like, things are there. I understand what I'm doing. I got it. I'm ready to go. That's when you're done. Otherwise, if you're still getting questions, you're still not, uh, you haven't gotten to, to the details and roots of things you need to get to, then you're not done. So uh, pretty, pretty good advice there too. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Nothing more unmotivating than a crappy user story. Um, yeah, I, uh, I wouldn't, if you wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of that user story or you don't know what to do with it, then it's probably bad. Okay. But let's talk about what makes for a good user story. Okay. For me, it's if the user story is specific enough to evoke some empathy for the user. Um, okay. So this is like a, a skill I had to, to work on because I don't know, something about me was just like, okay, I read in a course that this is how you write a user story. Um, but that was just like very robotic and templatized to the point that it was just kind of numb. Um, what I do now is I try and write user stories that are connected to the people who are going to be building somehow. So like, for example, as a buyer, I need to be able to filter facets specific to the product so I can find what I want to buy. Like, that's very like, what did I just even say? I don't know. <laughs> I get that engineers don't need flowery language and they don't need poetry to get the job done. Um, but this is worse than superfluous language. It's not specific. It's just basically dry as hell. Um, how would you rewrite that sucker now, knowing what you've all the experience you've been through? Yeah. Uh, well, I would try to get specific. You know, what category is the buyer in? Are they a new buyer, existing buyer? Are they in a specific geo? Uh, what device are they on? Um, what facets are useful for that category? Um, and I might write it about a category that the team is familiar with to evoke some empathy. Like I might write it, I might write it about 3D headsets and filters for that category, since I know my dev team isn't uh, a MetaQuest headset. Uh, but I'd also try to see how I might be able to add context. So like observations that I've come across that validate why we're running, why we're doing mm. this story or um, you know, and that could be data insights, user research, you know, the types of things that kind of help give context with the business problem, business problem we're trying to solve, um, just to really help kind of paint that picture. It doesn't have to be a lot of stuff. It can just be like a couple sentences that just, or a couple of bullets that are like, here's some of the background information as to why we're doing that. Just so we can internalize that. It, that could either be in the story or it could be in a background document either that's linked into the story either one. I like that. Yeah, at um, eBay, we're always trying to optimize for buyer experience as well as seller experience. But for this specific user story, we were trying to optimize for like a techie person who's trying to find a good deal on a really popular electronic like that that headset. Um, and I, just like you said, I might give a little bit of background like, hey, this is like a price sensitive user. Um, this is someone who's familiar with electronics already. So they're going to search by the exact model name. Um, and they're, they're looking for a good deal and they're not going to wait around for auction. Those kind of background details help um, enrich the story with healthy context that helps builders or decision makers um, get a frame of reference. Should we transition into PRDs, one pagers, technical docs, all those yeah. dreaded things you might be listening and being like, "Oh God, those things!" But <laughs> you know, there's a way to do those that are that's uh, super effective. Should we get into that? 
Let's do it. PRDs, um, product requirement documents, or one pagers, depending on how your company likes to structure um, this style of document. Yeah, it's dreaded, like you said, but I just want you to take a deep breath, okay? <laughs> it is not going to be that bad because you're going to listen to this episode and you're going to come out here and be like, okay, I could write a PRD and a one pager on literally anything now. Um, that's my goal. What do you th- I think? Do you think we can get people there? I think we can. <laughs> yeah, I think we can. I think we can. <laughs> so, yeah, it does take a significant investment of time, but it's like the th- gift that keeps giving. You know, you do all this research and then it's just in your brain, but you do this research and then you articulate it into a PRD or a one pager. And then, like Ajay said, you've all of a sudden scaled your impact. You have the ability to influence people with the information that you know. Okay. So the success of a product often depends on the quality and accuracy of this document, this PRD or one pager, which can kind of add to the pressure and anxiety associated with writing one. And I don't want to discount that. I know like the thought of it just kind of gives me (laughs) a little bit of the ick, but many PMs I know find it overwhelming to start because they haven't done these things before. And I want to tell you what those things are. Okay. So let's start with this first concept that you should get excited about writing a PRD because it is going to turn Pinocchio, aka your product into a real boy. And that (laughs) is beautiful. You know, you do you want to just be writing specs or like hoping and wishing that the thing that you spent your time on goes somewhere. No, you want to put it in a document and get it going. And you should be excited about this. Many of my early PRDs really helped me gain enough feedback to really hone my skills for writing a kick-ass one. Um, One doc hack that I think really helps when you're starting to create PRDs is to really think in slides. You know, as product managers, we're presenting pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so our minds tend to work in slides uh, you're kind of <clears throat> thinking about what the narrative is for your, what you're trying to build and what are the key elements of of what you're trying to build. And thinking in terms of slides can really kind of help you build the outline for the doc. So you're not, you know, starting from scratch. Uh, so the way to do that is to find the key punchlines or things you believe would be surprising to stakeholders and throw them into a slide. Um, and by the time you're done with the PRD, you should also have a slide deck with all the punchlines as you're working through the PRD, that'll impact how you, how you present on it, uh, when it comes time to do that in slide form. Um, and this comes in super handy as a personal reference and also to quickly get facts and key changes across the stakeholders who might be tangential to the product and have not read the PRD. Um, it's a great way to frame, great way to kind of anticipate in advance what people are going to want and uh, and how to present on it. Okay, that's brilliant. So you're making a visual one-pager of sorts as you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, the visuals come later, um, but at least, you know, uh, I have slides with headlines that help me and others more quickly digest what's important or controversial or game-changing about the feature or project. Sometimes I also do this... Um, I can get a little overwhelmed by my computer. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so sometimes I also just open up a notebook and like, you know, like write out 
the key headlines or like create the slides in the notebook. Oh, so that's that, so good. I do that too. You know, yeah. That way I start there and then I come back to my computer and I'm like, okay, cool. I kind of have the headlines. I like, mm-hmm. I can kind of craft that document together because sometimes no, uh, an empty Google doc, I don't know if this is why you do it too. It's just, it's just, um, it's daunting. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely daunting. Nice hack, dude. I feel like I end up making a slide deck anyway. When, you know, like you write a PRD, then you get to execution, then you have to share with some high level meeting. So it's a smart idea to kind of get it going. I mean, essentially, it's, you know, the uh, highlight reel of your PRD. Um, putting in a slide format or putting it in a notebook kind of also crystallizes in your mind. Like what's important? What's surprising? What are people going to be like, oh, we're going to do what with a listing flow? You know, um, it's good for you to kind of have those one liners ready to go. Uh, all let's jump into like the, the five characteristics of a good PRD um, from a great product writer that Ajay and I both follow, Lenny Ruchinsky. Lenny is a former Airbnb PM and has a gem of a newsletter. Um, you can find it hosted on Substack, just like ours, at lennysnewsletter.com. And he has a great article about writing dazzling PRDs and focusing on what what matters. I've referenced his writing, but specifically this article many times. Ajay, do you want to walk us through those five characteristics? Sure. Um, I have to say, after 10 plus years of writing PRDs, these are really the key things you should focus on. If you want to have your PRDs be effective, first, focus on the problem. So, you know, it can get easy. It sounds really simple, but it actually can get um, really easy to get lost in a lot of the details, Musha, some of the interesting stuff. But really focusing on the problem uh, is a really important, great place to start. Um, Second, Make sure you have crystal clear success criteria. What does success look like once this is completed? Um, it helps you keep your eye on the ball. Third, emphasize urgency. And fourth, keep it as short as freaking possible. <laughs> like I think this is really it's like like we talked about a little bit earlier. This is a key theme. Being concise, clear um, is really really important when you create this documentation. Um, to keep your PRD problem oriented, um, make sure you crystallize the problem being solved in a few strong sentences, ideally near the top of the document to focus the brain power of every teammate in the same direction. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the JIRA ticket earlier, you know, having that strong sense of why we're doing it, what we're trying to do um, to solve the problem is is really important to have at the top so that it's always it's always on people's minds. So yeah, you have to be captivating at the outset. Um, this is going to sound, this is a little bit embarrassing because it's like sharing the inner workings of my PM mind. But honestly, I feel a bit like a screenwriter when I'm writing a PRD, like what's captivating, like what's going to be surprising, you know, what's the key punchline, like what makes this different, better, work harder, an improvement, is this optimization? You know, like I'm thinking about those things when I'm writing. And then um, I want that energy to come across in the document. I don't want to have to talk and razzle and dazzle every time someone is trying to understand the work that my team is doing. I want to, again, continue to scale myself, but scale myself in a way that's um, engaging and not dry. Um, another tech writer we really like is Joel on software. And he says, don't be scared to be funny or witty. 
uh, capture the audience with humor and empathy. Like no one wants a bedtime story of a PRD. Okay. No one wants to, Oh, I'm so excited to read a boring document. No one says that. <laughs> so make it provocative, funny or witty, especially in the parts where the creativity doesn't hurt the accuracy. Um, like the problem statement or the use cases or the background. Like it's, it's okay to have energy in your writing. It doesn't need to be dry. And I think some people might fight me on that. Um, but I don't know, Ajay, you've worked with me. How do you feel about my one pagers? <laughs> it's really good. They're very engaging. I think, I think the, um, you know, good communication and great communication really, um, has, elements of like being funny fun mm. you know witty charming like you know when you watch people present you expect similar things right like you want to be engaged you want to be surprised um when when it war when it's warranted fortunately we work on products where real people use them yeah. so you're gonna be surprised a lot uh <laughs> so you know uh th that that part's easy to fill in these documents but yeah i mean it's like any other good communication form those things are are really important helps keep people engaged helping them learn the things they need to learn your documentation is excellent um and you do an excellent job of, of this type of stuff so that's what yeah, i like to hear of, plus one that's <laughs> <laughs> true it's true she didn't make me say that it's definitely true. um <clears throat> and and you know like like we were talking about being clinical is not inspiring mm -hmm. um it's just that doesn't inspire people to work on it. Doesn't inspire people to open your doc and get engaged. So, you know, yeah, it, it really does help. Now let's move on uh, into how to get crystal clear success criteria into your PRD. Um, you need to define what success looks like when the product or feature ships at first to make sure it's even worth doing and later to help everyone make trade-off decisions throughout the project from my experience, this section generally drums up the most feedback early on, which is what we want. We want mm -hmm. alignment. Oh, drink. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, all right. Um, we want alignment quickly <laughs> so that we can move on with our lives and start shipping, right? What's the best way to get feedback on your PRD? Are you like a share ahead kind of guy or read the comments or do you prefer like an in-person silent read? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. We were, t we were discussing a little bit. I think um, prior to us all being in some way, shape or form, hybrid or remote, mm. I would have preferred the in-person you know, read it in advance and then ask questions or read in the moment of that meeting for the first five minutes and then, then ask questions. But now we live in a world where a lot of our teams are distributed. Like you're in San Francisco, I'm in Austin. Um, mm -hmm. And it can be even more extreme. You are working with a team in Turkey. Uh, yeah. At Udemy, I've worked with teams in India and in Singapore. And it, in those cases, it's just not possible to get everybody live at the same time all the time. Um, so I think these days it's much more effective to have more of a hybrid model and prepare for your documentation. One to be presented live so that you can get the feedback that way, but mm -hmm. also written, uh, read offline, mm -hmm. um, by people halfway around the world, uh, that need to comment and, and work through what you're trying to communicate. So now I think it's both, um, Whereas before, I think I would have preferred more live type stuff. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, totally. Like um, you also the time zone overlap, right? You're not going to have two hours of focus. Like for me, I absolutely loved working with my team in Turkey, but I had to wake up super early so that it wasn't at the end of their day where they were exhausted. But, you know, we're at different levels of energy, different, like, you know, they've probably read 60 pages of crap that day. And now I'm like, okay, <laughs> two hour PRD meeting, everybody, let's go, you know, at their four o'clock. <laughs> okay. But yeah. my best feedback um, hack is to share your V1 of your PRD or your one pager with like four core people. Okay. Mm. Normally like one engineer, one designer, one data scientist, and one other like enablement PM or like a, an adjacent PM. And once I have like loose buy-in on the problem and success criteria, then I'm like, okay, let's roll this thing out. You know, it's like sharing your uh, draft script with your homies before you <laughs> go and pitch. Um, basically, I like to share a cleaned up version digitally before the meeting um, because I'm always looking to like pressure test in a low stakes condition, like a one-on-one -on -one early on in the project gives me the opportunity to get, first of all, honest, uh, very specific feedback. And then I can incorporate that versus like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like in a room with like 20 people. They're seeing this for the first time and there are like key gotchas that I didn't incorporate. It just makes for a smoother meeting and it makes me a better PM. Like you're not going to figure everything out on your own. Everything in your head is just that. That's it. Just the shit in your head. Um, but what about, <laughs> what about the engineering implications? Like, uh, what about design considerations we hadn't considered? Maybe we absolutely do need to do research and you didn't think about that. Um, that's why it's healthy to have this like inner circle of diverse team members take a look first. And then, you know, you don't have to take everything they say for verbatim, but it gives you perspective to weigh and balance. And I think, you know, my group meetings go way smoother. Yeah. 100%. I mean, if, if your key stakeholders are, have at least seen it before, mm -hmm. so they're not coming in and being like, what the hell is this? That's a really, really critical, really, really smart move, Ira. I, I really like that a lot. Thank you. Um, and it's a, it, it's referred to, um, as the meeting before the meeting in a lot of ways. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like our, our version of that, um, mm -hmm. which is very popular in Japan. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's founded on a very similar, similar uh, type of strategy. It's a really nice alignment strategy. <laughs> okay. Two in like five minutes. Awesome. Cheers. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> Let's push forward into number three, urgency. Okay. PRDs can unblock teams or they can lay idle and help no one as a <laughs> swirl of cross team alignment. Oh, hey. -o. I did it again. Um, lumbers on. Uh, so we want to make sure that there's, we want to make sure that there's a clear proposed timeline by which to review, align on, build and ship the project to keep the project moving forward and from exploding in scope. Yeah. Make sure you outline this in all meeting invites, Slack posts, and in the doc itself. This is such a key mo move yeah. because, you know, when people think they have all the time in the world, they will take it. Yeah. Um, and there's <laughs> nothing like a good deadline um to move things along get alignment sorry <laughs> uh, yeah. get alignment. Okay. i did it on my own sorry uh, 
these dog hacks are going to get so much better now that we've like chugged a drink each. That's right. Uh, Nice and drunk. Uh, (laughs) Get that quick, quickly uh, out of people and and get that pressure out there. Yeah, dude, that's such a freaking good documentation hack. The bigger the project, the less likely folks are to know what the development cycle for your team needs to be. Like no one knows how long it takes to like iterate on a search algorithm besides the search team. So, you know, I can't just like be waiting around for like three weeks for someone to have weighed in. So making it explicit, like, hey, this is a Q4 project. The feedback needs to be in by week blank to avoid, you know, Black Friday overlap or other calendar dependencies. This will prevent feedback cycles from dragging on, you know, and I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it because I've learned the hard way. If you put a date for when someone needs to have submitted feedback by and you publicize it like on Slack, on the document, in the email or whatever. And someone's like, hey, but you didn't think about this. I could be like, hey, you should have told me then. <laughs> and now it's going, yeah. <laughs> it's going in the backlog or I don't see it as hypercritical. It is a gotcha. Um, you know, we'll prioritize it against what we've already said. You know, depending on the gotcha, like sometimes it might be like, hey, uh, you need to enable payments in this country before you can roll out. You know, like that's a big gotcha. Um, And you want that kind of feedback early. That's why, you know, um, have the group meeting, have the uh, one-on-one prior, set a timeline for feedback, and then like move on with your life. Like there will always be things that you didn't think about, but setting this expectation gives you, I think the highest chance of getting everything you need before you start going. So there's not a lot of starts and stops. Like there's one thing I've learned, it's engineers hate starting and stopping. They just want to have a plan and Mm -hmm. go forward, you know? So you can try and minimize this churn um, by setting this deadline. That's right. Speak by this date or forever hold your peace. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, what about the last one? Okay, so probably the most important if you actually want your PRD to get read and fully digested is to keep your PRD short and sweet. I think Mm -hmm. we've been saying this a whole bunch, but um, it's worth saying again, short Mm -hmm. and sweet. In the end, if you want this document to actually be used, it needs to be readable. So keep it brief, clean clean up formatting and comments anytime it starts to get messy and put additional context into an appendix at the end. One thing I'll also add to this is just make it navigable. So if you're trying to like communicate ideas to people, that's the main goal, right? It's not to write a certain amount of pages or whatever. It's to communicate concepts and ideas quickly and effectively. Um, Sometimes, you know, it's hard for people to find stuff in these right. documents where a lot of stuff is being communicated. Screenshots so sure and designs. Links. Yeah. Screenshots, links, yeah. visual assets really help a lot, but also just linking out to specific pieces of information that likely people are going to be looking for or a table of contents. So they can yeah. get to certain parts of the document that they really care about. Like your VP probably cares more about product strategy, mm. but your engineers are looking for more, more brass tacks on technical execution make that sort of stuff easy to find. It uh, really helps make things smoother, but also your your artifact actually usable, um, which is what you ultimately want. Yeah. The length of your document too, like when you add all those like different assets you were mentioning, um, they can make it super long and it's just like you're scrolling forever just to get to something very critical for a specific stakeholder. I really like that one. But I do have mm-hmm. a little bit of a love-hate relationship because 
sometimes you can like be brief um, and like you navigate, you like link out to research or you link out to this other document. But then, you know, you get a ton of questions because if you're comprehensive, no one reads it because it's long. But if you're short, then you get like a ton of like, well, what about this? Or did you think about that? I mean, it's a real fine balance. You have to find ways to get your point across accurately um, in the least words possible. And like, I'm not trying to minimize this by just like saying it quickly like that. Honestly, I think you have to work hard on this skill. Like uh, I think at Amazon, they like force everyone to take a business writing class. It's what I've heard from some colleagues over there. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. always about how you can be concise, brief, accurate, um, and not be flowery. I would say those things are valuable, but make it engaging. I also think that some sections can be cut down and some cannot. Try and be artful about what sections you think your stakeholders need something more robust. And, you know, add an FAQ section. If you get a lot of questions and they're in the, you know, Google Doc comments or whatever documentation software you're using, you know, transfer those comments, close them out and put them in a question or Q&A section down below. That's a great way to cut down on, you know, um, document sprawl and having people bounce all over the place to get different levels of information. Yeah, 100%. Um, being comprehensive is good for engineering uh, oftentimes, but sometimes it's not good for other stakeholders. So picking which sections get trimmed up is a good strategic move. Having FAQs mm -hmm. to make sure your document doesn't come too sprawling is definitely a good move. Let's dive deeper into clever documentation strategies for product roadmaps. So how's that sound? So are we ready? Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so a product roadmap. What is it, man? It's a high-level document <laughs> that we love to hate. Just kidding. We love it. Um, it outlines the major features and milestones for the product, okay? And that's it. It's not complicated. You know, it's just something that's telling you what the hell is going on and when. It can align the team and stakeholders around their direction um, for a specific period of time. Like I've written product roadmaps that are for a quarter. I've written product roadmaps that are for a year. It doesn't matter that the time can be flexible, but it typically includes key dates, such as when a particular feature or milestone is expected to be delivered, as well as like these broader themes and objectives for the product. Like it's not just about like these bullets that are kind of meaningless, like, you know, uh, they, they need to be thematic in order to make the product roadmap um, digestible. I'm going to tell you more about what I mean, but in general, I've written my fair share of useless roadmaps um, where, you know, <laughs> people never looked at it and it's because they didn't understand it. And that's why I am like now trained to write thematic English product roadmaps so that more people can get more usage out of it. It's really important, like, because there is a tendency to just fill this document with tons of information, tons of... Yeah, um, every little milestone. Yeah, every little milestone and detail analysis. And it's actually better to kind of pull back out and start higher level and then start adding details as you need them. Mm -hmm. um, in a way that's actually effectively communicating your point. It's really important. And I mean, these things are, your dates are changing so often. Sometimes that upfront effort to accurately outline dates and milestones can just feel really thankless, right? 
Yeah, totally. My biggest doc hack for product roadmaps is to focus on themes, not features. Themes stay consistent while features change and just like dates change, you know? Um, And themes and their respective milestones can make your roadmap way more useful. For example, if I were like building a new reseller app, like a Craigslist on steroids or something, the themes are like, sell side, buy side, account management, trust and safety, and then slotting in these rough dates um, instead of like, okay, today we build the sell flow, then, uh, you know, payments for US, (laughs) payments for Australia. You know, it's just like that's, those dates are going to shift so much. You're going to spend your whole freaking life updating these very micro dates. Um, So if you stick to themes, then you have bands of dates like quarters or months instead of specific dates. Like, yeah, you may have like a hard launch date, but like, don't get aggressive. Otherwise, your roadmap is always one, going to be out of date. Two, you're going to be a slave to it. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite roadmap doc hacks, like we were talking about earlier a bit, is to keep it simple. Uh, or just you're going to risk lots of overhead for regular updating, like you said, right? If you don't keep it simple, you're trying to trying to kind of micromanage each milestone um, <clears throat> or too aggressive with it. You're just going to end up updating it a lot, mm-hmm. telling your stakeholders that you quote unquote missed a date when in reality, you know, yeah. uh, you could have done a better job planning it at a high level. So, you know, this thing's probably going to change each sprint. So keeping it simple will serve you. If every detail is wrote, noted on the roadmap, it'll be hard for stakeholders to see the forest for the trees anyway. So yeah. uh, you definitely will be wasting time uh, changing micro things like sprinkle status or weekly dates uh, rather than spending your time building the right things for your customers. Your company likely has a template that they like too. If it's super detailed, maybe ask a program manager or um or uh, somebody else in your, in your in your groups for a simpler version for your projects. More often than not, people will appreciate simplification. Yeah, in general, the details should be in sprint stories and Jira, and not in your product roadmap. Alignment. Oh, alignment. Time to drink. You did it. <laughs> It needs different levels of granularity, in my opinion. You know, it's not all about making everything comprehensive. Like to get alignment with my manager, he does not give a crap about the sprinkles. He <laughs> wants to see the big rocks. Um, that's for me personally. Um, but alignment with my data scientists is like, okay, like how many weeks do we have to get this model trained? Um, and that's very, very different level of granularity. The product roadmap is not for the data science stakeholders. It's supposed to serve a maximum number of people who need to understand when this is getting built, what the dependencies are, you know, like roughly what the the key themes are and the key timeline. And everything else goes either in a JIRA or sprinkles for your like working team or your PRD to get buy-in, um, focus, product strategy that goes in your PRD, right? Or your one pager. Okay. I think we should wrap up with a punch list of our clever documentation strategies. Okay. Should we roll right into it? Are yeah, you ready? Dude. You take the first three. All right. <clears throat> okay. Let me hear this out. So um, first, be direct, concise, and clear. That's what you want others to do for you, right? Uh, so you should do that for them. Make sure you give your team and stakeholders that courtesy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be witty and are funny in any and all the docs that you write, 
when it doesn't hurt the accuracy. Jolon Software, as we've talked about, has a great resource on this that we'll link to in the show notes. It was actually shared to me by a chief product officer I worked for, Tom Hale, who is now CEO at, at Aura. He's fantastic. And I highly recommend giving that whole series a read. Uh, this is a key takeaway that broadly apri- applies. Um, three, for Jira tickets, make sure you have enough G- detail to evoke some empathy for the user. So mm-hmm. give the observations from data in- analysis, user research, uh, and give that context briefly at the top to help people understand why we're doing the story along with the user story in question. And I'm going to cheat. I'm going to add one more bullet. Number okay. four, um, PRDs can be dense. So it's good to keep running slides with punchlines that might be surprising, interesting, and get your point across quickly through that framework and present them whenever you need to explain your feature fast. Okay, that was really good. Wow. How many years of wisdom are packed into those? (laughs) 10 years? Oh, so much blood, sweat, and tears. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a lot of pain. Uh, But yeah, it's all packed in there. All right, uh, bring us home. So the last three. One, ensure your documentation gets read by setting expectations for feedback with a timeline. Hey, please be sure to have weighed in by this date. Okay, you can put that at the top of your document or on the Slack message. Two, themify your product roadmap to reduce change overhead and boost understandability. Is that a word? It is now. now. (laughs) And number three, Opt for brevity in documents where engineering doesn't need specification. It it helps you map your document or you should help map your document with like a table of contents or backlinks to help people find the things that they specifically care about. So navigation of your document. Okay. And, you know, in conclusion, it's it's worth mentioning that the key to successful documentation is to find the right balance between providing enough information to support development and management of your product while avoiding overwhelming team members or stakeholders with unnecessary detail. Like that's really the crux of it. It's also important to regularly review and update your documentation. I mean, I'm guilty of not doing this every time, but when I have, it has served me to ensure that it like remains accurate and relevant and that um, it's useful even when you leave or to pe- uh, teams that are adjacent to you. And I think that's our show. Yeah, it is. Uh, I hope you all learned a lot from our conversation and can apply it anytime you're getting ready to bust open that blank Google Doc. <laughs> we do have one more thing, though, that we're going to get into, which is our cool product things. Um, and we're back with that this week. So we'll get into that here in a sec. So see you in a minute. All right. And we're back with our cool product thing for this episode. Uh, just as a reminder for the uninitiated, cool product things is where we uh, take a cool product thing that we found in the wild and share it with you all uh, in a way that represents a key product concept. So Ira, you are on deck this week. Yay. Uh, we're going to talk about chat GPT. Everybody's talking about chat GPT. I mean, um, everybody. But what's everyone. Uh, but uh, what's fun about it for us is that you used chat GPT to outline this episode. Surprise. Uh, that's pretty <laughs> wild. Want to tell everyone about your experience? Did it change your life? Yes or yes? Life officially changed. Um, okay. What is chat GPT? 
Okay, guys, this is a language model. And as an AI and ML geek, um, it's basically an amazing tool that is leveraging machine learning and artificial intelligence to give a voice or an interactive voice um, to information. Uh, and that's it. If anyone tells you it's more complicated than that, they're lying. Okay. It's not, uh, it is, it's very uh, profound uh, software and technology, um, but its usage is what we should really be focusing on as product managers. Um, I, you can basically go to OpenAI and you can ask their chat GPT model a question. Um, I asked specifically for this episode, hey, outline the most important things to know as a product manager about documentation and documentation strategies. And it gave me an excellent outline um, for some key points. Now, it wasn't without um, errors um, and some issues, but what I really liked about it is it gave me a starting point and it was easy to use. Um, it was flexible and it was also like very, um, it was not intimidating. I didn't need to write code to run this. I literally asked it a question like I might ask AJ in the hall. I'm like, hey, how do you do this? Or what do you think of this? Um, and then it did more complex things. So I asked ChatGPT, I was like, tell me a bedtime story about e-learning. And it wrote me a story that was like, <laughs> one day Elaine was really interested in, and it was just beautiful. Um, anyway, wow. yeah, I think we'll start to see more and more um, of copywriting and I guess repetitive, redundant writing being coming out of the chat GPT model. Um, but the key product concept I think it represents um, is user friendliness and is coverage. I mean, you can ask it to code a iOS app and it, or change uh, the language of an app that you wrote to another programming language. Um, I, like I said, I asked it to tell me a bedtime story and it outlined portions of this episode. And that, my friends, makes this product flexible, highly useful for a very large demographic of people. And I am so excited to see what creatives use this for. I think there is a little bit of controversy. We can save that for the comment section on uh, ProductHappyHour.com. Um, but I really enjoyed the product and I expect to be using it even more. That's awesome. Yeah, let us know what you guys think about the implications of chat GPT. What's interesting to me is, you know, I, I read a great article over the weekend by Ethan Mollick on Substack about how <clears throat> chat GPT certainly might have some implications for kids like cheating on their homework and mm -hmm. using it to answer questions on their homework. Yeah. But it also can be a really powerful learning tool. Like we've, you, you talked about using it for the outline of this episode. Um, there's a interesting way of using it as a way to kind of validate if the response that chat GPT is giving you yeah. about a certain topic, if a student can validate that it's correct or incorrect and why it's incorrect or correct is a way to kind of help students, you know, teach back the concept basically to an AI uh, chat interface. So there's going to be some really, really interesting usage of this technology going forward. Totally. And um, really, really, really fascinating stuff. I I'm looking forward to just seeing how it all plays out. It's going to be really neat. And I love the point of 
it being much more user-friendly. I mean, AI models have been around forever, mm-hmm. but having a more user-friendly version that's indexing the whole internet, that's another interesting thing bananas. about it. It's like, bana- it's really bananas, right? Like yeah. they're using the whole internet. It's not just like, so far we've had kind of like proprietary experiences where it's like Google's created their own model based right. on Google data. Yeah. And somebody else has created a model on their, on their own data, like Meta. But here it's like, nah, it's, it's the whole thing. It's all of it. It's all of human knowledge. It's like, okay, all right. You guys really went for it. Yeah, it's not without its flaws. um, But I mean, what amazing groundbreaking thing isn't, is a little bit repetitive. It can just sometimes be outright wrong. Um, But the nice thing is, is if you tell it it's wrong, it will correct itself. Um, And that is the beauty of machine learning. Um, I am so excited. And I wonder if we could use it for our next episode. Probably. I think we should. I think we should just use it for every episode. Shit. <laughs> this is going to be wild. All right. Well, hey, that's a great way to bring this episode to an end. Yeah. We did it. Thank you, as always, for joining us for Product Happy Hour. If you enjoyed Happy Hour today, we hope you did, uh, please support us by subscribing at our website, ProductHappyHour.com, and consider a paid subscription. There are two options. It's either $5 a month or $30 a year. For one Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year, you can help us keep this party going. Thank you in advance for your support. You can also support the show by following the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also rate the show five stars on your platform of choice. really helps us out. Or give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram or TikTok for clips at Product Happy HR. And please share with your friends and spread the word. The more people at the bar, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening to the show and we'll see you next time. Cheers.